straight efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. In episode 58, we have Allison Conway, Associate Professor at the City College of New York, where we talk about the challenges of goods movement in dense urban environments, the impact of e-commerce on freight delivery, the shift in vehicles engaged in goods movement, and using data to better understand what is happening in e-commerce. She talks about the fact that we are going to see new methods of modeling that bring together things that used to be separate and how freight efficiency can be improved by addressing what's happening off the vehicle. Today we have joining me, Allison Conway. She's an associate professor at the City College of New York. Urban freight isn't a topic I know a lot about, so I'm looking forward to learning, maybe our audiences as well. Welcome. Thank you, happy to be here. Urban growth. Uh, and getting goods and freight to people, um, you know, in their homes as well as businesses is, um, you know, really, I think something that's probably uh, been under under a lot of people's radar. We just maybe don't appreciate it as much or, or whatever. So that's that's kind of what we're going to dig into. But, you know, this is, uh, you know, this podcast is with uh, me and my friends. <laughs> so do you remember how we uh, how we met? Um, so I think we met when we spoke together on a, a panel for the National Academies talking about the future of freight. I think you were you were focused on, you know, vehicle and middle mile issues. Um, and I was there to, to talk about these these urban and last mile topics. Yeah, that's, that, that's right. And we I think we've been the same on a couple other panels since. And then we had yep. some coffee when I was in New York City. I, I hadn't been to the city in 10 or 15 years. And then I went like three times or maybe twice over the pandemic with run on less electric. So um, yeah, that's right. So um, Allison, walk us through your career and how, um, you know, you became so passionate around uh, this topic uh, and, uh, you know, really are putting a lot of your time and effort to it. Sure. Um, so initially I, you know, I started studying freight transportation back when I was in graduate school, starting my master's degree at the University of Texas. Um, I worked with a graduate mentor, Mike Walton, who was, um, you know, a leading expert in, and engaged in all kinds of multimodal freight projects. Um, as you might expect, when I lived in Texas, I was focusing on big freight issues, you know, things like long combination trucks, um, as well as, you know, some technology issues around things like um, truck road pricing on the new toll roads under construction. Um, then I moved to Manhattan in 2009. That's when I started he here at the City College of New York. Um, again, probably not shockingly, um, I pretty quickly shifted focus into the topics that I am, you know, really here to talk about today, looking at the, the challenges that goods movement faces in dense urban areas, um, you know, things like um, trying to identify new city logistics solutions um, to try to move freight efficiently through these very dense areas with, with minimal impacts on the community. Um, and looking at things like how does freight actually share space with other users, especially vulnerable users like pedestrians and cyclists. Um, yeah, I gotta, gotta believe that transition from Texas to Manhattan could be a, a topic we could spend many, many minutes on. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I do have to caveat it with, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, so. I, I started yeah. somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, you, you you said space, and I'm sure it's not the first time this is going to come up. I mean, I, I um, you know, many terminals, uh, 
you know, in, in this country and really around the world. I mean, sometimes they got tons of space, right? I mean, they're just, they, they're planning for growth. They got lots of places to park tractors and trailers and this, that, and the other. And in other cases, um, you know, there, there's, um, there's next to none. I mean, when I, when I re recall the, um, the uh, DHL location in Manhattan that ran run on less electric, they had, they had uh, delivery vans on three different floors of, of the single building. So, Wow, how starkly different it is. Um, any any compare and contrast you can you want to do between those two uh, experiences? Um, I mean, I I would just say you know it, the the challenges become increasingly complex. I guess when you get into urban context, just because you're bringing in so many more stakeholders into the process. So things like um, even just looking at you know how do you design and manage parking space in the city. Um, there are, you know, four different city agencies that play a different role in addressing that issue. So like the Department of Transportation manages the curbside parking regulations, but the Department of City Planning determines off street loading requirements. And, you know, the um, police department is responsible for enforcement and the Department of Finance establishes ticket <laughs> costs. And so it just really gets complex really fast when you're trying to, you know, propose a policy solution, for example, just even identifying who are the right stakeholders to bring to the table becomes really interesting. <laughs> yeah, fascinating. I'm sure that there's a difference between older cities and younger cities and different, you know, different parts of cities and so forth that just make that really, really complex. Why don't we stop? Why don't we like take a step back and talk about like urban freight um, and, you know, I'm really interested in maybe maybe a way to look at this, Allison. What was it like pre-pandemic and then, or pre-e-commerce, and then what has it meant to cities now that we're trying to get, you know, packages to apartment buildings and storefronts uh, rather than, you know, sort of larger buildings when that comes to um, urban, but um, maybe to just talk about getting goods around big cities and maybe use Manhattan if that's most appropriate, and then uh, maybe couch it as pre or post the e-commerce and what effect that has on on it all. Sure. Um, so you know the the general change that I would say occurred with e-commerce is that prior to e-commerce, when we're we're thinking about more traditional supply chains, um, freight was sort of separated into either specific locations or even specific periods of the day when most freight activity would happen. So again, for example, on a, you know, a commercial corridor, an arterial street um, here in the city um, that has stores and restaurants, we would have space allocated for those restaurant deliveries between seven o'clock and 10 o'clock in the morning, because that's when trucks in a part of a traditional supply chain would come to make those deliveries for the functioning of that business during the day. Um, E-commerce had sort of upended that, that um, clear ability to kind of distinguish the locations where freight's gonna be moving or to distinguish the time of day during freight's gonna be moving. Freight can really happen at all hours of the day and night to all kinds of land uses. Um, whether they're located in residential areas or located in a commercial district or industrial area, which is where we would have previously been looking at freight. Yeah, and so what about the modes then? I mean, was, you know, with respect to, 
Um, well, I'm guessing e-commerce is delivering to more addresses. So more trucks are getting to more places with, um, you know, home deliveries and, and, and the like. So um, how, how's that uh, manifested? Sure. So, you know, it definitely, there's been a huge shift in the vehicles engaged in, in goods movement. Again, you know, when you're talking about moving relatively large volumes of goods to a relatively small number of destinations, um, those things can move on a large or medium-sized truck where that vehicle is clearly going to be the most efficient way of moving those goods. Now we're into, you know, having, you know, the other end of the extreme here is 15-minute um, grocery deliveries, right? We now have people at home uh, placing online orders for groceries that will be delivered in the next 15 minutes. Um, you don't need anything bigger than uh, almost a standard bicycle in order to complete that delivery. So those obviously are the two extremes. Most of the e-commerce vehicles you see are somewhere in between. So box trucks that are being uh, parked and essentially used as, um, in, in the dense areas of the city, essentially used as mobile distribution centers where large uh, teams of staff with hand carts come and pick up those goods from the truck and deliver them on foot. Um, or in a more, you know, a slightly less dense residential area, you would see, you know, um, more like uh, vans uh, or small trucks making those kinds of deliveries. Mobile distribution centers. That's interesting. I, um, I suppose I, I thought about that before, but never really thought about it a lot. I mean, I think the last time I was in the city, I noticed a lot of um, bikes, maybe um, electric bikes with um, what would you call them, like package wagons? Um, is that a thing that's that's starting up? And what kind of advantages and disadvantages of some of that sort of three-wheeler or even two-wheeler with a little wagon pose sure. in cities? Sure, yeah. So, um, for example, here in New York, there has been a proliferation. Uh, the city has an ongoing pilot study looking at uh, cargo bikes. And so they're, they're kind of developing standards and policies around the use of those type of vehicles, but there are several hundred of them now in operations on the streets. Most of them are doing local deliveries of things like groceries. Um, for example, um, the food deliveries from Whole Foods, uh, at a number of the Whole Foods locations in the cities, you'll see those. Um, basically, they're electric bikes towing trailers um, that are used to, to move those, those goods. And again, um, the reason those are being used in the city is they, you know, they offer benefits over some more traditional freight vehicles. Those um, vehicles can bypass congested traffic. Um, the parking is sort of gray area in terms of um, the regulations, and that's something they're working on kind of developing standards for. But often in a, not, a less dense area, you'll see a cargo bike parked on a sidewalk. Um, which is a whole lot easier than trying to find parking in Manhattan if you're driving a large truck. Um, so it offers some uh, reliability benefits, some even in some cases speed benefits, and they're typically much easier to park than a, than a larger vehicle would be for making those kinds of deliveries. Yeah, I think about the classic, you know, vans and step vans or these cargo vans, sometimes call them. I mean, they're, they're going to oftentimes double park um, or try to find a place to park while the courier or the delivery person's going in and out, or maybe they got a team where there's a couple of them going in and out. But if you could find some sort of parking spot for this medium duty truck, maybe twice as many packages that could come into a place, find, maybe, maybe there's a way to find a, an off street parking 
where then these, you know, on bike couriers come to get it. That might take some, because just the amount of trucks that we, we are adding to these cities and, and, you know, we're talking about Manhattan here, but, you know, we could be talking about Columbus, Ohio or Pittsburgh or other places that aren't quite as dense, but certainly are dealing with this challenge. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that is where ultimately we're, we're going to be headed with this. Um, there are more examples of those kinds of implementations in Europe. So the Europeans have been kind of piloting those types of solutions for, you know, close to a decade. Um, there's a lot of interest on the part of U.S. cities in doing so, but it's a little, just a little bit of a different um, one. I think our, our infrastructure is not quite as constrained because our streets are newer and we're designed for larger vehicles to begin with. Um, so probably not facing quite the same extreme pressures um, to, to implement these kinds of solutions. Um, and then just maybe um, less, I, I don't know if political will is the right term, but just sort of uh, interest on the part of you know, public agencies and um, governments in implementing these kinds of solutions. Although I do think during um, COVID as e-commerce um, became increasingly visible on the streets that there has been a kind of a change in the visibility of this problem. And I imagine over the next couple of years, we're gonna see a lot more piloting of those kinds of solutions. Yeah, we've been, you know, this reminds me of some, you know, we've been exploring what at MACFI we're kind of calling truck to truck intermodal. So just, you know, whether it's a tractor trailer going from one dock uh, to like an inner city dock or, a, or a, uh, you know, in this case, we're talking about, you know, a mode shift from a medium duty truck, maybe to a bike and trailer, <laughs> um, you know, the, the whole concept of, of, you know, we can't have a big truck going everywhere. Um, it limits, you know, it limits the, you know, optimization of that truck. And so if we can, if we can figure out how to transfer the freight or make that intermodal right. shift. Um, so what, what are some things that are developing there? I mean, I, I often um, talk about or pontificate that that intermodal shift is becoming much, much more effective or efficient. Uh, because of technology and all sorts of things, but um, um, is that is that part of what you work in, or have you had some thoughts about that? Yeah, so I haven't done any specific studies on this, but absolutely, I think there's a couple of a couple of things happening that that I agree with you. I think that's kind of the next frontier of this. Um, there are cargo bike operators um, with an interest in um, containerization, so essentially having. Um, modular containers that could be offloaded from a truck in an efficient way and and transferred to a you know a cargo bike. Um, there again, there's some examples of operators doing this already in in Europe. Um, there is here in New York. There's also um, a lot of general interest in seeing that if we can use multimodal solutions like freight on barge um, to bring things to the waterfront and and use solutions like cargo bikes or small electric vehicles. Um, again, which could benefit from modularity. Um, the other thing is just the um, visibility side. And I think that's where technology comes into play. So um, as, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, one of the concerns and challenges which, with bringing in a different mode for last mile goods movement is that if you are a freight operator that values um, the interface that you have with your customer or 
um, even just being able to track where your goods are between where you might hand off to a third party carrier and your customer. Um, having that visibility through the use of just relatively um, common technologies like RFID tracking or um, um, you know, different mobile solutions that would allow you to, to maintain visibility even if you're working with, with a partner um, and to plan and collaborate you know, to really achieve the benefits that you would get from using that third party. For example, you might um, in general not be interested in sharing information with a competitor who performs the same types of deliveries that you do, but if you can find ways to develop backend technology systems where those deliveries could be coordinated, um, you know, the, the term used, I think, in research is coopetition, where you, you coordinate with your competitors in yeah. small areas just to, um, to achieve those efficiencies that you can't do on your own. Yeah, you know, and it, it happened with, uh, you know, cargo, you know, um, maritime cargo shipping where, you know, they came up with some standardized sizes and um, that took off. So, uh, you know, I think that, that whole, that whole thing is very fascinating. I remember um, one time working with somebody and, you know, the idea of moving freight on barges in North America came up and I'm like, what? I mean, that's a, you know, that's two centuries ago. We don't need that today. But, you know, when you start to think about, um, you know, the amount of people we have and congestion. I mean, maybe there is uh, definitely, you know, ideas like that, that, um, you know, can have a place in, in future freight movement. Yep, absolutely. So tell us about some of your projects you're working on right now. Um, anything that, that uh, our audience might be interested in? Um, sure. So, I mean, most of the work I'm doing right now is focusing on, um, so there's kind of two topics we're working on. One is just trying to understand um, new data sources to better understand what happens in e-commerce supply chains. So right now we really don't have very good visibility of what happens. Most of what we use in research to kind of quantify e-commerce activity is just surveys of receivers asking how many packages <laughs> they receive and trying to translate that back into actual transportation activity. Um, so I would say right now we're focusing more on just kind of identifying the problem, but the hope is that in the long run, this could lead to kind of more productive discussions that would help um, establish better partnerships between the, the private industry operators and the, um, you know, academia and the public sector to, to allow for better informed solutions, because right now we're kind of... Um, guessing as to what's on the road at any given time yeah. and hey, I, gotta I gotta tell you though I, I, I'm uh, like once a week or once a month I am like shocked at where how much data that people are finding out there right either it's way data or I we, we were working with uh, someone I can't remember who was actually getting video pictures of the trucks as they went across way stations and they were mapping then right and they were mapping then, uh, you know, the actual kind of truck to the amount of weight. I mean, that stuff is, that's very, very, very valuable to a lot of us trying to make these things happen. And so there, there's data, big data is here. And it's just a matter of kind of finding it and figuring it out, reapplying it to, um, you know, other, other problem solutions. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And e-commerce um, has sort of a unique new challenge when it comes to data. I totally agree with you. There's a lot of really cool work going on um, 
using things, I think the one project you mentioned, you know, using inductive loop signatures to classify vehicles by industry, like there's really cool stuff going on. But um, the challenge with e-commerce vehicles is it's not always easy to distinguish an e-commerce vehicle from a passenger car, for example. So you might have someone working for Amazon Flex doing deliveries in their own personal vehicle. So if you capture that on a camera or, you know, it drives over a loop detector or a way station, um, it's, it's not going to register as something different from a passenger car. Um, so that's one of the really interesting challenges of dealing with urban freight specifically and probably e-commerce even more specifically is um, it, it sort of makes the data challenge even more uh more difficult just because these vehicles are not as easy to distinguish as you know a five axle semi trailer would be with that with yeah. that uh, that data. Yeah, so I've never asked any of my researcher friends this question. So th this one, <laughs> maybe get ready for this one. Um, uh, you know, I, I think your researchers are looking into the future quite a lot, and and actually, you know, in many ways, a forecasting of a bit. So. What are a few things around urban freight that you, given the work you've done, that you're pretty sure of that you see happening that um, that uh, the rest of us may not may not have a clue around? I mean, what insights do you think you have around urban freight that the rest of us will figure out later on? I'm gonna sort of hedge on this question because um, I I think the the biggest thing about urban freight is that we don't know like five minutes from now what urban freight is going to look like. Um, you know, these uh, particularly, and that's, that's not true. I shouldn't say that about all urban freight, but e-commerce specifically, e-commerce supply chains are so nimble and change so quickly in response to market demands that I honestly feel like by the time I publish a paper, it's already out of date because whatever I was able to observe on the street, you know, that operator has shifted to a new delivery model um, already. <laughs> so I, I realize that's kind of avoiding the question. Um, I would say that I, I do think that, um, you know, urban freight, again, it is growing in importance. I think there's much broader recognition that it needs to be addressed as, as really an integrated part of the transportation system. Um, we have always treated it as sort of separate from passenger systems. And I think with this move towards e-commerce, um, it's become impossible to segregate freight as something different from other transportation using the street. So I think we're, we're going to see newer you know, methods of modeling that now need to start to bring together those things that used to be separate um, in, in new and creative ways. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about some of those solutions around like common locker areas and and things like that. So the pendulum swings, you know, both ways and so forth. So, right. well, Allison, we're kind of running out of time, um, but, um, you know, what what are a few things that, um, you know, you'd like the, the audience out there that, you know, anybody following sort of freight movement that they should take away from our conversation and, and some things maybe they should do or think differently about or... or um, what are some ideas or even some suggestions you have for us? Sure. So I'll, I'll give you uh, two points. The first is just something that you just raised. I'm not going to go into detail on locker systems, but um, I think there have been a couple of interesting studies recently that have started to look at um, one way of making freight more efficient is to really address what's happening off the vehicle. 
So here in New York, we talk about we need the right tickets to enforce parking, you know, um, and I think a lot of efficiency could be gained if we made it as easy as possible for the driver to drop off those goods, whether it was in a locker or at a centralized delivery point in a building. So I think there's this, um, you know, we should be looking at more integrated solutions between buildings and the street and how we can make freight operations holistically more efficient, not just looking at the vehicle kind of by itself. Um, the second thing I will say is something that I've learned working on urban freight issues in um, New York and, you know, talking to people in cities around the country um, is that there are actually more allies out there than you might think in terms of addressing freight issues. I have actually found that when I present my work in venues that have, you know, are full of bike and pedestrian advocates, it's actually very easy to find common ground, um, you know, and to get support in developing new and interesting city logistics solutions. So, um, you know, maybe that's my final thought is just that, you know, those in the freight industry um, may not think sort of of public meetings and bike advocates as, as partners in trying to, to gain new solutions, but I really think there's a lot of potential um, to engage with those different kinds of stakeholders to really try to move some of these solutions forward. I think it's a great thing to close on. I think, you know, um, sometimes these modes compete with one another, and I think there's a lot less competing and a lot more collaboration that can make us all successful. I mean, we've been talking to a, a lot of folks around, you know, even in like intermodal, um, you know, rail, where, you know, the, 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 the drayage right on each end could be zero emission, and then you've got a really high efficient rail in the middle. And so that whole, that whole, um, you know, let's just all work together to figure out the most efficient people movements kind of been doing that for some time with, you know, should you take an Uber? Should you take the bus? Should you take a bike? Should you walk? I mean, all those kind of trade-offs. Right, exactly. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you and um, uh, good luck in your work. It's, it's fascinating and uh, we'll touch base another time. Yep, great. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great to talk to you as well. Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends.